Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Today, we have Amanda Joe Irvin on the show, and we are talking ethics. Before you turn it off, before you turn the episode off, because if it was me and I heard ethics, I would immediately say, yeah, that sounds awful. I do not want to hear about that. <laughs> I've heard Joe speak on ethics before. Uh, I heard Joe speak on ethics for eight hours before, and it was entertaining. And um, Joe has a great personality and is probably the perfect fit for um, talking about something like ethics. I feel like when I tell people that I'm in audit, just like the the way their eyes start to roll in the back of their head is kind of how I felt initially about ethics uh, discussions. But um, Joe does make it interesting and entertaining. So don't turn it off just yet. At least give her a chance um, or the topic a chance even. So uh, what we talk about is we talk about the three types of ethical character choices and kind of like where we fall within that as um, individuals and, and kind of as uh, human beings also. And then we talk about um, total ethical auditing and total quality auditing. Both of these are terms and they are uh, certifications and books and uh, workbooks that Joe's developed. So um, you can actually get certified in total quality auditing, um, which is pretty interesting. So um, you can check out all the books um, that Joe's written at auditconsultingeducation.com. Um, you'll also see on that website a link to her CPE book club. So Joe reads a book. I've, I've looked at the entire list and I don't think there's an audit related one in there. It's more about, um, it's more like Malcolm Gladwell type stuff. Um, Tony Robbins type books, you know, those types of leadership and, and, um, process related books and efficiency and mindsets and things like that. So, um, pretty interesting stuff, but anyway, she has a CPE book club. Um, that you guys can join and have a conversation with her um, and get CPE for doing it about the book. And I think the tagline, I don't have it up in front of me, but it's something to the effect of uh, Joe reads the book so you don't have to or something like that. But um, it's really interesting. It's a, it's a unique way of getting CPE. So uh, go check that out. Um, and then she also has a new book coming out called The Everyday Ethicist. I think the, the timing of this recording, uh, we're going to be about a week or two short of uh pre-order so go check out the website um here in a couple weeks and uh get on the pre-order for that joe is very active on linkedin so if you want to reach out to her directly um hit her up on linkedin there'll be links to her website the cpe book club and her linkedin profile 
Um, so feel free to uh, check all those out. All right. For the ethics discussion on the audit podcast, here we go. So you have the book, Becoming the Everyday Ethicist, that's coming out. And just kind of give us a summary of, of what to expect with that. Sure. Uh, I'm very excited, mainly because I use my books and my workbooks, the ones that I've already published, as training material. So to me, just putting my training, my thoughts into book form, um, it helps me. It helps me perfect my training process as well. So uh, the ethics book is really based on my ethics training that have a few parts to them. So there's three main segments in the book. The first one is all about personal ethics. Uh, what does that mean? What does it mean to have a personal set of values? I go through what I call my three character choices that we all have. So we can talk about those if you want. Yeah, let's talk uh, In personal ethics. Uh, and then the second part is leadership ethics. So, you know, you can't really be a leader unless you have that personal ethics base in my mind that has um, great ethics qualities. So I, I go through a lot of examples of men and women in leadership positions that I think have just portrayed excellent ethical qualities. Um, so that's really the leadership ethics. And then I go through kind of my checklist of, of how you can make sure you have the right qualities as a leader. The third part of the book is all about organizational ethics. What are the values your organization has? What are the processes, the policies? Um, how are you interviewing uh, at your organization for ethics? So it's really all about organizations uh, and how they can display their own ethics and their culture. And then I added this bonus content uh, for auditors because I talk a lot about how do we audit ethics? How do we audit culture? at organizations. And so I have now developed total ethical auditing or TEA, where I go through the mindset I think you need to have in order to appropriately audit culture and ethics at your organization. So that's what I call a bonus chapter at the end of the book. So what, obviously we'll, we'll talk about the audit piece because this is the audit podcast. Yeah. Um, but then the other three, um, maybe just like one big takeaway that sure. the listeners could have from each of those. Yeah. Um, for personal ethics, main thing is those three character choices. I think we all need to decide, we need to be self-aware of our own character and where we fall in the spectrum of personal ethics. So I go through three different character choices. The first one is what I call the big me. And I actually borrowed that term uh, from David Brooks, who wrote a book called The Road to Character. One of my favorite books, uh, he actually dissects um, historical figures and how they always put the betterment of society and community ahead of their own self-interests. Mm -hmm. And he thinks that shifted today, that we live in a society where we all put ourselves first. And that's the big me, where it came from. And so from an ethics perspective, these are, in my mind, the people who find $50 in a store on the, on the floor and they immediately pick it up and put it in their pocket, right? Because that betters them versus walking up to the cashier and turning in that $50. Um, so that's the big me that I think some people choose to be from an ethics character. The second one is really where the majority of us live and that is the ethical rationalizer. So uh, this is where we rationalize if we find $2 in the ground, uh, it's only $2, nobody will miss it, right? So we change our ethics, we rationalize that behavior. Uh, one of the other simple examples I always give is, 
I knew it was wrong, but my boss told me to do it, right? We rationalize because of those leaders in our lives. And a lot of us fall into that, to that bucket. I'd say probably 98% of us really. I always point out the big knees, those bad apples, because um, those are the fun fraud cases that we mm -hmm. get to talk about. But um, you know, most of us are in that, that ethical rationalizer where we just have these blind spots to when we actually behave contrary to our beliefs. We, we say we're ethical, but then we behave differently. So, and then the third ethics choice, excuse me, character choice is all about um, just never compromising your integrity at any cost at all. So it's what I call the everyday ethicist. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously where the book came from. How do we all become the everyday ethicist? So it's just making sure ethics is on the front of our minds in everything we do, little, small, you know, big, small, um, envision your actions on the front of the Wall Street Journal, right? Going back to um, just really considering every little thing you do. Um, so those are what I call the three character choices that that's the personal ethics okay. section. And then, and then the next one was the? Leadership, mm -hmm. leadership ethics. I'd say the big takeaway there for me is find a leader, um, whether it is you know, someone from past history, someone, in, you know, a mentor or a, a trusted advisor in your life today, and really just look at how they portray their ethics and emulate that. You know, to me, it's about finding those good figures, public figures, um, or even private in your private life that you can just start learning from and living their values. So I go through in the book, um, people from Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, John Bogle, the founder and CEO, former CEO of Vanguard Funds. Um, you know, I go through the women of ethic, ethical leadership from Harriet Tubman to Eleanor Roosevelt to some women today, some um, strong female examples today. So to me, it's all about just looking at what's happening around us, who you um, really see as a valuable uh, ethical leader and, and trying to emulate that. So then I take essentially all of the way every leader I think has been a good uh, impression on me or given me a good impression, I put all of their qualities, characteristics together and present those in the book by saying, here is what I think you need to become an ethical leader, in other words. So it's okay. a lot of compilation of other people's great work. So is it, is it like finding those, we'll say three people and embodying them yourself or is it taking the ones that you found for us and embodying those? You know, you might, if you have the same, you know, I think ethics is a very personal thing. If you are convinced, we'll say, by my vision of ethics, uh, you might find that the ones I've put in the book are great examples for you as well. It might be somebody completely different. Um, you know, I like to think as, of ethics as black or white, uh, right and wrong. Uh, and I know that I get a lot of um, pushback from people that think it's more gray. So I, I realize that ethics is a personal choice uh, for everybody. So I think really it is, is matching, you know, your own personal values with someone else's as well. Yeah. And if you don't want to put the work into figuring out yourself, just go read the book, right? That's right. I gave you some really good, solid examples. So, you know, and that's the good thing about anything. Um, you know, there's so many people that have done great work before us, uh, written books, done the research, you know, um, I know you and I were talking earlier about my CPE book club. All, all I do is read books and I give a lot of thoughts from others that I think is 
brilliant, great thoughts. And then I'll just put, you know, add to it my, my two cents as yeah. well. I think that's a lot of what we're doing is, you know, let's not recreate the wheel. Let's take that good content and then, you know, make it our own and, and present it in a different way. So that's a lot of what all of us do, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I'm actually doing a presentation where the three parts we're going to talk about is uh, ethics, vulnerability and empathy, because, you know, I think those are three things that every leader needs right now. Um, and so, but, but I'm not going to sit here and, you know, and wrap my brain on what vulnerability just means to me. I'm going to read all these people. It's why you get a coach also right. or a mentor so that you don't have to, and I, was, I literally just said this two days ago to somebody, bang your head up against the wall for six months to figure something out. We can just be like, Hey mentor, how do you do this? And they can say, yeah. hey, you do this. And I know it because I banged my head up against the wall for six months. Right. Now I can tell you how to do it. So yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I think um, that makes us smarter and you know, more efficient and effective and yeah, definitely can get so many valuable insights from others. So. Yeah. And then, all right. So we've got the, the third one, organizational. Organizational ethics. So I think for me, um, the, the biggest thing, and I actually just asked this on another webinar, was what do you think the, the real factor for success is at organizations? And I give people options. Number one would be something finance related, profit, revenue, you know, does that make them successful? Number two, would it be something like their product or their strategy, their business line? Would that make them successful? Third option is always culture ethical practices, integrity values. Does that, is that what makes them successful? On my webinars, almost everybody always picks that third option. Yet as auditors, as you know, um, or just even management at organization, we sometimes don't put enough on that third factor, even though we all agree that that is the biggest factor towards success for any organization. If you look at the fortune 500 that have you know changed over the years you know who's come off the list who's stayed on it um there's been a lot of research around you know having that solid integrity ethics that your organization is gonna gonna make it last longer and be more successful so really it's all about how do we get our priorities in place how do we really live our values not just state them although i'm a huge proponent of stating them um you know making sure they're on the the walls they're everywhere um but it's how do we all actually live those values as well how do we hire for them i have a a, a sample interview questions for how do we actually ask questions around ethics and integrity um, and so that's really the big organizational piece is thinking about how can we ingrain ethics and integrity back into the organization. And really that leads to the last piece, which is the auditor piece, right? Because I have come at this for a, for a few years now from that auditor angle on how do we audit that our organizations are doing this. So now it was exciting for me because I got to kind of teach the organization side and then the auditor side to it to kind of piece it together because what the role i want auditors to play is to just start helping being that consultant that advisor to help their organizations implement some of these practices that i put in the book okay and then you also have the tqa yep. book yeah so um my selfish plug for tqa which is total quality auditing uh, I built this concept very first when I left my corporate career and started really training and teaching full time. 
I had studied TQM or total quality management principles for a really long time. The, the founder W Edwards Deming always laugh is like my second father. I feel like uh, my dad grew up, um, you know, in manufacturing, working in manufacturing companies um, and really implemented TQM principles quite a bit over his career. And what is TQM for the, the total quality management? Meaning total, meaning you are essentially the four principles of total quality management are um, continuous improvement by all, you know, having qu great quality, obviously, in products. It's also a lot about the culture and the management piece. I always tell everybody, you think TQM is all about quality, but it's really just as much about management and culture um, than anything. In fact, Deming would go into an organization and say, uh, you know, 85% of the success of this organization relies on the management piece, not even the quality of your products. So I think that's something a lot of people don't know. Um, and then really um, the last piece is customer feedback of TQM because Deming also said a product or a service is completely worthless if it's not what the customer wants. And that really is what I, I grabbed onto from an audit perspective, because I think a lot of times we're auditing things that the customer doesn't even care about, right? And we think we're doing great. The report is beautiful, right? It's the best report we've ever written, but they, they hate it because they didn't even want us looking at this low risk area anyway. And so to me, all of those TQM principles, control of processes, customer needs, um, you know, quality and culture, like all of those, I was like, these could be auditing principles, not just management principles, right? Yeah. And so what you did is you took those and you turned them into auditing principles. I did. Yep. So there's technically 14 principles of TQM and I I turned them into six points of focus is what I call them for total quality auditing. And it of, of course starts with ethics as number one. So ethics and culture, um, standards of conduct, what is that acceptable behavior at our organizations? And it's about auditing all these things, right? How can we focus our organizations on these principles and then make sure they're adhering to them? Um, then I talk a lot about that customer feedback. How can we gather that data, get those risks right at our organization? And then uh, the fourth point of focus is lean. How do, we, how do we become lean auditors? How do we use lean techniques? I talk a lot about Six Sigma techniques that I've actually adapted for internal auditors to use because our organizations are hiring expensive consultants to come in and do these Six Sigma lean projects where I think we could have the expertise within our internal audit areas mm -hmm. and we could provide that value and that service. Um, yeah, and then the, sorry, I'm babbling now. The fifth point of focus is balancing our work. I am a huge proponent on not just doing assurance work, but also doing a lot of consulting work. I always go back to the IIA definition of internal auditing that says, you know, we are there to add value. We're there to do consulting, to improve our organization. Um, and I think we do a lot of that by doing more consulting mm -hmm. than looking at the past, right? Mm -hmm. That, that um, attesting and assurance work of the past. So, um, I talked a lot about that. And then the last point of focus for TQA is all about leadership. How do we do it all well? How do we kind of bring all of those points of focus together and, and really just show some grit and ethics and get that respect at our organizations? Hey, everyone. Thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at Audit Board, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. Audit Board's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. 
automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. It's something that you said that as an auditor thought about was you're talking about getting the customer feedback piece is almost doing a management review of what we've issued. So depending on where you are in your, um, like your audit cycle or, or where you are right now, as far as a TQA process or, or getting feedback from the client, going back to them now and doing a review, you know, and saying, you know, did you care that we did this, you know, kind of thing and understanding now. So um, yeah. like if you don't have any, if you don't have that process implemented now to review it, you know, shortly after the fact or after the audit's gone out or, or rather to review it beforehand, do a, re a management review now and understand where the issues were and why the, the high risk areas weren't communicated and why we were testing, you know, some low risk areas. Yeah, I um, I break feedback into three parts and you really hit the last one, nail on the head. Because feedback to me is, how do we gather feedback, you know, really annually or quarterly of what is everyone at our organization concerned with right now? What are those real time risks? Where do we need to be focusing our time? Um, the second type of feedback I always talk about is getting culture, opinions, behaviors, thoughts any of that feedback. So the first one I kind of call fact gathering. Mm -hmm. um, the second one is more those opinions uh, around what is, how are you feeling about the culture? And then the last one is purely internal audit feedback. How do we ask after every engagement, you know, how we did and how can we improve? Um, I always tell everybody that's their only chance to audit us, right? So yeah. that's, that's, their, <laughs> that's their option. That's their, you know, this is their moment. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about Becoming the Everyday Ethicist, and we've talked about TQA. I know you've got a bunch of other stuff going on. What else, do, what else would you like to share? Oh, my goodness. Um, the, the third kind of um, training program that I have um, done this year that I've just absolutely loved is a little more on the personal development side, but I have adapted it for internal auditors. I speak a lot with IA chapters. And um, I, I created this training called Your Road, Your Choices. And it's actually based on um, my second book, which is Our Choices on the Road of Life, which also has a workbook. So the best part of any of these are you get the workbook, you actually get to keep it, you get to work through those exercises. Um, this one, the, the choices, so on your choices are how do you embrace adversity? And we look at that from a personal standpoint and a professional standpoint, because let's face it, every organization today is going through an adversity. And so I talk about how as internal auditors, can we help our companies embrace this adversity, learn from it, move through this crisis, through the pandemic. So it's nice that I could take every one of the topics. So one of the choices in here is habits. What are the habits we need personally? What are the habits our organization needs? you know so you can equate that to values really so it's been fun to take you know a really personal uh, personal development type book and do a personal and a professional side for auditors and that one um it's it just it's had great response and i'm just i'm loving i love doing it so it makes it a lot easier um yeah and one thing we didn't and we'll i guess we'll put this at the front now because i was thinking you know i sat through your training and you know we've been talking about ethics the whole time 
but I know like your story of how you became or you were like born this ethical person, something <laughs> that, I, that I always thought was really interesting. So I guess we can just put it at the front, but yeah. could you tell that story of, you know, kind of almost more like, I guess how you kind of kick off your trainings, I guess, but sure, kind of like story yeah. of how you were born to be the ethicist person. Yeah. Yeah. So I always, I start every single one of my trainings with a baby picture of me and I tell everybody I'm going to admit three things to them right off the bat. So the first thing is the picture of me as a baby. I have no hair, so I'm completely bald. So I always say first thing I was bald for a really long time. So I admit that. The second picture is a, is a kind of funny picture um, of me, maybe probably about almost two years old. And I have this terrible comb over from one side to the other. And one side is still completely bald. So I admit that I had a comb over for a while. And then the third thing is the most important thing. Um, I put a picture, you can tell it would be around that, that age where you really start talking a lot and you start babbling. And that's what I tell everybody. I admit to them that I was a talker when I was little. And uh, I show a picture of my older siblings who are actually 12 and 13 years older than me and tell a story about how my sister used to sneak out of the house when she was 16 and I was three. And I would, of course, go and tattle and tell my parents about it. Uh, and then I tell a story about my older brother who would try to steal money out of my mom's purse. And of course I would tattle. Mm -hmm. uh, go on to talk about tattling in school if somebody cheated. And uh, then I get to pick up, put up my picture and tell everybody that um, I might have been a tattletale when I was younger. And I still, to this day, just call myself a really short whistleblower. Nice. <laughs> so that's—I I always say that's my only joke, real, real joke. Yeah, yeah. I try to be funny, but um, that's the only planted joke in my presentation. But I just, yeah, I've been a whistleblower since since birth, and I just have always had that in me. So that's good. I, I, I forgot about the whistleblower part. That's good. <laughs> Total ethical auditing. I say three things. You got to. Um, Think like a fraud examiner, mm -hmm. execute like an investigative journalist, <laughs> and mitigate like a coach. Okay. Uh, so those are the three pieces. And um, I'm trying to think of the techniques I could go into behind those three things to do like a how-to. That's what I was thinking because I they always say like, think like a fraudster. And it's like, well, I can't just think like a fraudster. Like, what do you mean <laughs> think like a fraudster? Well, and I think to me, it's that, you know, there's a lot that comes out about auditing where there's a scandal or an ethical, you know, or an unethical behavior at an organization and someone goes, where were the auditors? Mm -hmm. And I know there's a lot of debate on what is audit's responsibility when it comes to something like fraud or unethical behavior. Uh, I hate that, that a lot of them shrug it off as not our responsibility. So when it comes to ethical auditing, for me, it's about let's actually think like that fraud examiner. Let's, you know, do those steps. And that, that extra piece we can add on to our audits to start asking those questions that we might have not asked before. So, so what are those questions that we can ask that we could incorporate into the audit? I think for me, um, I actually have a, I call it a risk culture survey, and it has questions around four different categories. One of them is like accountability. So how do you feel, do your leaders take accountability, you know, for their, for their mistakes, for their, for their business? Um, another one is communication and challenge. How do you feel, um, you know, are you, can you challenge the decisions of your leaders? So it's really getting into, um, you know, would, 
would there be a fraud or something? Would they be able to get away with it, right? How much challenge, how much power empowerment do you have? So it's getting into asking those questions. Um, another one uh, category is incentives. How are employees incentivized? You know, I pick on Wells Fargo all the time. There's plenty of organizations to pick on. We don't even have to pick on them, but there's so many companies that have incentive plans out there that are incentivizing the wrong behavior. And, you know, as, as auditors, let's think about what, what a step beyond recalculating that incentive. Is it being calculated properly? What are they even incentivizing, you know, and how are the leaders performance managing their employees and just getting into those type of questions, I think could get in front of some of the scandals that we're seeing in the newspaper. Um, the last area is tone at the top. Always ask about, you know, tone at the top. I think it can be really telling. Um, and to me, it's really just getting out there and talking about it. Prevention, number one way to prevent fraud is to talk about it. We've heard that over our careers. Um, and getting it in the front of auditors minds and talking about it and starting to ask about it to me is the best thing you can do. So are you asking or should we be asking executives these types of questions or is it like internally as a team what have we kind of seen especially when we talk about something maybe like um, culture since we are for the most part working remote you don't get to have those conversations and kind right. of be around everybody so so what who should we be talking to? Yeah, so I have um, a list of questions that I used to do, obviously, in person, in interviews, and not just executives, though. That's one thing I emphasize. This is, needs to be more of the frontline people you're working with, those mid-level managers that you're working with. Um, and I, as you know, am a big proponent of surveys. And I know a lot of people feel like we're over-surveyed right now as a society, but especially in our new remote environment today. I think, you know, surveying all of your auditees, it's a way you can, you know, to me, this is the full population. This is the way we can do data analytics in an operational way, right? We can send a survey to everyone versus interview one person. So start, you know, come up with those list of questions around culture that you want to ask. Um, and if anybody wants that risk culture questionnaire, I'm happy. You can throw my email in the notes and I'm happy to send that out. Um, just to give you some ideas of, hey, let's ask these five questions in a survey and tell them, you know, we are, we're really interested in looking at the results. You can do it anonymously so that, you know, they feel comfortable. But to me, that's a great way to still be, you know, touching that culture piece, you know, getting into the, that unethical potential behavior leading into fraud before it happens to just really start asking about it. Yeah. And I like that you said, ask the frontline people. There's this kind of saying, you might've heard it. If you want to know where the trash is in a company, you ask the janitor kind of that's thing. Right. That's right. That okay. is completely it. Yeah. I, I always um, talk about the Deepwater Horizon, uh, the BP incident, you know, which was just 10 years ago, April now. Uh, one of the employees after the incident was asked, why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you say anything about the unsafe practices? And he said, no one asked. You know, just those no one asked, you know, is that two words or three? Yeah. Simple, we can, we can take care of that. We can start asking. I think that's, you know, just ask has been a, a tagline of mine for a while too. We just need to um, have the courage to ask those questions. That's good. Yeah, I think the, um, probably that conversation we had there towards the end was probably the best part, I think, to me anyway. I got to that of it. Okay, I I, I well, make sure it. you put that in there then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The rest of it sucked. It's this part. No. Um, 
No, just because we've talked before, you know, and it was it's, uh, like, I usually go into the, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do this kind of stuff? And yeah. Um, so anyway. All right. No, that's good. And yeah. it's hard. It's just hard for me to jump into the how-to without the theory yeah. behind yeah. it. So that, that is like, I think that's really the most challenging thing for me on a podcast is that you, like, I, sometimes I feel like I do jump around and I like, I have to start at the beginning or they won't understand. Yeah. Or, you know, it's hard to condense. Yeah. And that's what, depending on the size of the topic I try to do is say, what is that thing? How do you do that thing? Cause like, it's, yeah. it's like anything else they've said, like with Michael Jordan, like he was an awesome player because he was so good, but he's a terrible coach because he didn't know how to tell people the stuff that he already knew. Yeah. Not that that's you at all. I'm just saying in general, like when you know, when you're like the expert on something, you sometimes forget that us lay people don't know what well, that means. Well, no, a couple of things. Like, you know, that, that old saying, um, those who can't do teach, uh-huh. I hate that saying, yeah. right? Like, so it's like I spent my entire two and a half years of training trying to overcome that yeah. comment, right? Yeah. And that's why I still take on clients and mm-hmm. I make sure people know that. Um, and then the second one, oh, shoot, I was just thinking there was another kind of, oh, the other one is uh, every speaker wants to just be the, you know, $25,000 keynote speaker that does one hour and leaves mm-hmm. the conference. I, you know, that's not my forte, right? I like to build that eight hour relationship, you know, and if I'm always going to be a trainer and not a keynote speaker, that's fine with me, right? You know, it's, it, but it's, it's understanding what you do best honestly yeah. So. yeah i think the the one hour thing would probably look if they want to give me twenty five thousand dollars speaking an hour i'm gonna take twenty five thousand dollars speaking an hour but right. yeah you can't really get into anything i, I think within an hour so well uh, and then you set yourself up for the feedback of well that was great in theory but how do i do it yeah. and and it's you know and that's where i get in you know into a lot of that's why I like eight hours. Cause I'll yes. tell you exactly how to do it. I'll give you all the tools you want. Like, and, Unless you're like, just like a really great salesperson, you can do it for an hour. And then at the end or it's somewhere kind of work in, give me a bunch of money to do this for you, you know, kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, yes. Sorry, yeah. anyway. All right. Do you have any other, do you have any closing words, any um, webinars that you have coming out or anything that you want to kind of throw out there? Um, I, ha- uh, when I started training virtually a couple of years ago, one of my favorite things to do is actually give webinars. And so I used to actually have in my bio that my favorite thing to do was to sit at home and give CPEs from my house with, you know, in my pajamas from my waist down, but I'm not in my pajamas today, I promise. Uh, so the good news is when the whole world went virtual, I already had a virtual CPE book club set up. And what that means is essentially, uh, I do about a webinar a month. I try to work one in every month. I sometimes have guests on those webinars as well. Um, and I read books all the time, so I'm trying to capitalize on that. So I take whatever books that I'm reading, I put them into a, a presentation with the concepts, a little bit about the books, the authors, and then whatever field of study from a CPE perspective that that matches, I give a CPE in that. So it could be ethics, it could be specialized knowledge, something like fraud, uh, management services I've done, personal development, obviously I've done. Um, but my virtual CPE book club is my favorite. You can jump on a webinar or not. You, you, you buy them individually at a really cheap price. And um, that's really been my favorite thing that I've had constantly for the last couple of years. So. Yeah, I, I think it's really cool also. And there's book, let's see. So I'm just trying to think of like 
John Maxwell's in here. Malcolm Gladwell's in here. Yeah. Um, if you go to cpebookclub.com, um, you can see every book we've done um, at the bottom of the page. So, and sometimes I'll do repeats. I've been doing a lot of fraud books lately. I know a lot of CFEs that need some fraud CPEs uh, <laughs> yeah. or specialized knowledge. Yeah. Um, so we've been doing a, a lot of those. Um, but yeah, it, it's just, um, I always say you guys don't have time to read the books. Let me read the books. I'll give you the summary of it. You don't have to. It's the easiest book club you'll ever be a part of. Um, and you get a CPE out of it at the end of the day. And it's a fun CPE. I always, that's how I um, promote it. It's fun. It's unique. Uh, it's something different than your traditional CPE. So. That's, that's what I like about the tagline you have on the website. You don't have to read that book. We do that part for you. I love that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so the, the plug there is you could actually text to join the book club. And all that means is you get an email about once a month saying, here's what's coming. Uh, if you want to sign up or not, and it, you just text uh, CPE, all caps, to 66866. So super easy. That just gets you on the list. So. Okay. And if you are like me and still terrible uh, typing on the phone, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can just click directly to the uh, the page to sign up. So. Yep. Perfect. Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.